Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Allison DeAngelis. I'm Adam Forestine. And I'm Damian Garde. It's Thursday, August 24th, and here's what we're going to talk about this week. The world is suddenly taking notice of Vivek Ramaswamy, the biotech executive turned presidential candidate. We discuss how he went from a drug industry entrepreneur to a GOP rising star and how his former biotech colleagues are reacting to it. We'll also talk about the latest news in the life sciences, including a curious data leak and the family business of a famed biotech inventor. All that after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Shirley Leung. I'm a columnist for the Boston Globe. I want to tell you about a new podcast that I'm hosting. It's called Say More. On Say More, I'll be talking to the doers and thinkers behind the biggest ideas of our time. How business works, how cities thrive, politics, technology, culture. I want to bring you inside those conversations. Say More, a new podcast from Boston Globe Opinion. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Damien, I um, was not attuned to my uh, TV set last night, but you were watching the first Republican debate and our, you know, biotech, um, some call him friend, some call him foe, uh, Vivek. Uh, Tell us about, you know, what kind of impression he made on the crowd last night. It was... It was interesting. I mean, it, it's. I guess it's worth pointing out. I mean, this is something you two know very well, and and probably people listening to this can can imagine. We don't always get to choose what we cover in this line of work, um, <laughs> and so I am not a politics reporter. Um, but I was assigned to specifically watch Vivek Ramaswamy because. Um, I know him, we know him, people listening to this probably know him as, uh, as we mentioned at the top, a, a, a biotech entrepreneur of some renown, or at least of, of a lot of interest, um, dating back to around 2015. He has since uh, left the biotech company that he founded and run for president, obviously. And so, you know, we kind of had been keeping tabs on his rise sort of through that lens. It, we don't um, you know, the three of us don't don't cover presidential campaigns generally, but but here was kind of someone biotech perceived the biotech community, I guess, to such to the extent such thing exists as one of its own running for president. And he largely as a long shot candidate, he was polling, you know, below one percent sort of Connor Roy numbers for a while. But those numbers had begun to change in recent weeks. And that all culminated, I think, on Wednesday night where. Uh, I mean, at least from from my view, he distinguished himself from the rest of the candidates on stage running for for president, not including, of course, Donald Trump, who was not there. And I think in the reaction um, that I've seen publicly, that the, the the world, as we said, is kind of waking up, saying, "Who who is this man?" I mean, so so what I ended up writing, reaching for an angle, because of course I had been assigned to write something. Um, was was that, and, and I actually, I do stand by this, it occurred to me that the reaction to him uh, on stage, both in the room in Milwaukee, where he was occasionally, or he was often greeted, I think, warmly by cheers, and then occasionally had to shout over booze, um, was polarizing, both in the room and, and on Twitter, and, and I think just kind of among people watching the debate, and it called to mind the way that we all first became aware of Vivek within biotech back in 2015, when he was this 29-year-old former hedge fund manager with 
a bold idea that in his very well-spoken, but also very, very confident description, had basically figured out how to do drug development. The, the underlying implication was that the major incumbents, the Pfizer's and Merck's of the world, were getting it all wrong. And that he and his team, these sort of brash outsiders with youth and inexperience as conceivably a virtue, were going to do it the right way. And I heard echoes of that, um, not talking about biotech, obviously, but about foreign policy and about just how to run the United States. And so it was kind of interesting to watch on a much larger scale some applause in the room and some praise on the internet, but also some mockery, some derision, and some people taking offense at that brashness as applied to his presidential campaign. Because, you know, as as we probably remember, Adam, I know you do, he was greeted with some praise and also some mocking and derision back in 2015 as well. Yeah. So, Damien, I watched, I don't know, about an hour or so of the debate last night. I kind of turned it off around 10 o'clock or so. So I saw a, a lot of the clips that you're probably seeing this morning. I, I got to see live last night. I think, I mean, no one really cares about my my political analysis, but I kind of think he won the debate last night, mainly because, you know, winner being defined as like the person who is being most talked about or at the sort of center of all the attention at a debate like this. And he seemed to be, you know, like you said, whether he was getting applause or getting booze, I mean, people were paying attention to Vivek. And that was probably what he wanted. Uh, and so I kind of think he he won with that, you know, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I think the persona that you see on the stage uh, or you saw on the stage last night is, like you said, Damien, is is sort of the same persona that we encountered when, you know, you and I probably started talking to him back in the 2014, 2015, 2016 time period, you know, when he started Roy Vant, uh, you know, again, you know, going back to the name, right, Roy Vant, ROI, return on investment, right? That was his big, that was the sort of the kicker uh, in terms of the, the name, the name he gave his company. And then obviously, you know, the Alzheimer's drug that he acquired uh, from GSK for $5 million, which he magically spun into a billion dollar publicly traded company. Um, you know, he did, he had that you know, I think the, the term you used was brashness, you know, the, the, he was he was and that's kind of what you saw last night. I mean, there's probably a fine line between being brash and being arrogant or being too much of a smart aleck. And so maybe if there was criticism of last night, he sort of he did come across that way a little bit. Um, and clearly there are some other candidates on that stage that do not like him for that. Um, but that I guess that was my general impression of him. Yeah, I got a text message this morning from a friend to you know, is is not in the the biotech world. Very specifically, it was like, Allison, what do you like? Do you know this biotech guy who's running for president? Like that was in the debates last night. It does feel like everybody's talking about him, and as much like derision as he kind of you know inspired, you know, when Roy Vant was started. It it's funny to like look now on paper, as you pointed out, you know, Damien in your article. They have, what, like six FDA-approved drugs for this company that's not even 10 years old and are now, like, there's now M&A chatter surrounding Royvant and its subsidiaries. Uh, I don't quite know what to make of him. I mean, what I saw of, you know, kind of biotech Twitter last night was a, you know, general um, sweeping, you know, dislike of Vivek. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, let's let's let's, you know, let's be real, right? I mean, most people 
that I don't want to say most. It's so hard to generalize here, but a lot of people on bio Twitter and the people that you see criticizing Vivek are, you know, on, on the sort of liberal side of the political spectrum. So, you know, naturally, you're not going to like Vivek for his positions. And, you know, that's that's fine. Um, but I think, that, you know, getting Mech maybe more to like, you know, the you know, sort of the substance of it. I mean, I think people, you know, people I think, think took issue with, you know, it didn't come up in, at the debate last night, but people have taken issue with his criticism, his recent criticisms of the FDA, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt Herper and I sort of wrote a, you know, we wrote a column analysis piece about some of the things that Vivek has said about the way the FDA does things. You know, he basically called the agency corrupt and, you know, and it, it, and it's sort of, you know, the what he said, you know, sort of had a healthy serving of that kind of MAGA red meat type of material. Um, uh, and there wasn't maybe a, a ton of substance to what he said. And I think so I think people within the industry uh, certainly take offense of that and legitimately so. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, he seems to want to uh, dismantle the FDA. That's very much kind of on the libertarian side of his political philosophy. Uh, you know, most biopharma and drug company executives that you talk to actually want a strong FDA, right? I mean, Damien, I, you, Damien, you and I were talking about that just the other day. Yeah, it's curious because in the, you know, zooming out and looking at him as an outsider businessman, Republican presidential candidate, that in itself is not like a novel phenotype. Obviously, Donald Trump being um, the most proximate and, and most successful example, probably, at least in recent history. But when you look at those people, they tend to come in with policies that would prove to be beneficial to the industries from whence they came. Um, you know, obviously, the like the Bush Cheney administration coming from oil and natural gas, Donald Trump as sort of like emissary of rich real estate guys. Um, you know, the Trump tax cuts were advantageous to people from that demographic. Vivek as like a pretty like true blue libertarian, at least based on what he said, promising to gut the FDA is curious because Adam, as you mentioned, I mean the the drug industry. There's sort of like a prisoner's dilemma kind of vibe with the FDA. So like if you're a drug company, obviously it would be best for your bottom line if the FDA took it really easy on you, your drug specifically, and approved it really quickly and then you could start selling it. That would be great. However, if the FDA took it that easy on everybody else, it means some other company that invested maybe less money with a drug that maybe doesn't work as well would likewise be able to win approval, compete with your drug, and cut into those profits. So as a whole, the drug industry tends to favor a well-funded and pretty strong gatekeeping FDA because it is key to their ability to make the kind of returns that a successful drug can make. So if Vivek were to be elected president, we can talk about the actual odds of that uh, later. But in, anyway, just taking him at his word, if he wanted to gut the FDA, it would probably be disastrous for the industry that he comes from, which is kind of an interesting, I don't know, it differentiates him, I guess, in some ways from, from other candidates of this type that we've seen in the past. Yeah, and we should say that the those issues that are sort of core to this podcast, core to sort of health, I mean, those didn't really come up. You know, abortion came up, but Vivek, I, I don't think, Damien, you, you probably watched the whole thing, but I don't think Vivek really chimed in on the abortion question during that portion of the debate. Right. It wasn't posed to him. He has in the past said that he, uh, it's sort of a leave it to the states kind of thing. Again, tacking to the right. sort of libertarian ethos. I mean, I did, Allison, you mentioned, you know, hearing from people outside and, you know, about Vivek. And I did, because I, I have a, I know somebody, a longtime uh, sort of friend source of mine who, you know, very 
I would say, sort of very, very libertarian slash conservative uh, in the healthcare world. He's a he's an investor. And I did ask him, I was like, I was just curious uh, the other day, asked him what he thought of Vivek. And he, you know, he really likes the guy. I mean, again, it's it mostly because of the sort of the, the libertarian policies um, that that Vivek um, espouses and, you know, I guess would would implement or try to implement if he ever became president. And I think that that appeals to to this this person that I know. Uh, and, you know, I think like, you know, I just he chimed in with me last night. I asked him, like, you know, watch the debate and let me know what you think. And he, you know, he 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 also thought uh, Vivek did really well. So, I mean, I know when Vivek entered the race, Guys, we were, you know, we always debated like, oh, should we take it seriously? Should we be covering him? You know, he comes from our world. And I don't know, Amy, it sounds like you're going to get more assi- <laughs> more assignments <laughs> to write about Vivek in the future. You might be going on the campaign trail, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned at the start that he like for the longest time kind of entered and he was like polling at like Connor Roy levels. Where is he at now? Obviously, like we don't have any there's not much or, you know, there's limited polling like post debate last night, but kind of, you know, heading into this, where is he standing nationally? Yeah, I'm curious to see what the effects of of his seeming star turn will be. But coming into this, I'd seen him at around 7% nationally, which, you know, that's a single digit number, but he was gaining on Ron DeSantis, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who was sort of the presumed second place uh, nominee after Donald Trump, who is washing all of these candidates by 40 points. But that's another matter. But anyway, uh, you know, Vivek seemed to be gaining not only on DeSantis, but in some polls surpassing him in the early primary and caucus states, which I think was driving a lot of, you know, there was a leaked memo last week um, purportedly authored by advisors to Ron DeSantis, advising him to attack Vivek specifically, which he didn't really do last night. But I think that was read as an implication that Vivek's opponents were starting to take him seriously. And I think, you know, uh, Vice President Mike Pence and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie did seem to come out swinging for Vivek last night. That might be reflective of what seemed like their personal taking of offense at his manner, but it also seemed kind of pre- ordained, perhaps, in that, you know, those guys are polling pretty low and look at him as maybe someone to take down a notch. Um, And I'll be very curious, not only what the polling looks like in the aftermath of the debate, but also what the next debate looks like. Because to the extent that, um, you know, Adam, to your point about how it felt like Vivek won, because coming in with relatively low expectations, with probably the lowest name recognition, he does seem to be kind of leading news coverage after the fact. That element of surprise is, is gone now. You only get that once. And so in the next debate, we'll see what the Christie campaign, the Pence campaign, the Haley campaign quite likely have dug up and want to throw in his face the next time they get a chance to do so. I did like the chat GPT line <laughs> that Christie threw at him. That was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Damien, you mentioned uh, that leaked memo. We had, a, we had our own little leak in the uh, biopharma world this week um, at a Genentech and Roche. Adam, can you kind of lead us through what the heck happened? What's I'm not ready for an era. It's the end of August, guys. I'm not ready for like a leaked, you know, documents conversation. I'm ready for my last vacation of the summertime. So we're, we're going to go from we're going to go from Vivek to Tidget is what you're saying, Allison, in that wonderful Absolutely. transition <laughs> To another topic, because we've talked about Vivek 
way more than we should have. So anyway, yeah, no, awesome. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, you know, it was really kind of funny. I mean, I, we could talk about, I don't know, we could throw in Biogen. Do we yeah. have anything, anything Biogen to talk about? <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of everyone's sort of, I think everyone is just looking forward to uh, the August or maybe taking some time off and coming back uh, to the real world in September. But, but yes, uh <laughs> This leak that we that we referenced is really it was kind of fascinating. Apparently, uh, some internal slides at Genentech inside Genentech uh, regarding data on its uh, Tigit, which is a class of immunotherapy drugs that are under development. Um, so uh, a slide that depicts uh, an interim analysis of this very closely followed phase three study of a, a, an anti-Tigit drug called Tiragolumab, an anti-Tigit drug called Tiragolumab. We'll just call it. Tira, maybe we'll call it Tiragolumab, whatever. But um, it leaked. Apparently, somebody at Genentech posted this slide on a public-facing or publicly accessible portion of their website. And uh, Umar Rafat, who's an analyst at uh, Evercore ISI, apparently found this slide and then published it uh, in a research note, which got everybody... Uh, buzzing about kind of uh, Tigit and whether or not this was kind of a target that people thought uh, was maybe not dead, but was certainly kind of there was a lot of doubts about this at the activity of these Tigit compounds. Uh, now there's renewed interest in it. I, I have to give a shout out to Jared Holtz at Mizuho, biotech strategist. We've had him on this podcast many times. He had a great line in a, in a, in a note about this and referring to, to Umar Rafat's finding of this slide. He said, uh, really nice find by biopharma analysts refreshing the Roche website like Ticketmaster at midnight of a Taylor concert drop. Which, <laughs> which I really, which I really did like. But I mean, you know, the TLDR of all this is that you know, Tigit. A lot of people thought Tigit was dead as an, an immunotherapy target, and and now maybe it's back. There was another great line. Um, Akashuary, who is an analyst at Jeffries, the the headline on his research note on this was Schrodinger's Tigit both a signal and not a signal. And I think that summed it up well because it's like, depending on how you looked at it and uh, and how looked at the data and your point of view and maybe whether you owned any of these tinted stocks or not, uh, you saw great things or maybe you saw nothing at all. Yeah, the whole ticket, Tidget, Tidget, the whole Tidget roller coaster. I say, I say Tidget, you can say Ticket and I, we can, you know. I'm not pronouncing the, the cover all the base. That was plainly beyond me. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> this whole roller coaster, I mean, it, <laughs> to your point about it being super promising, then questionable, then seemingly left for dead, and now kind of reemerging. I mean, we, we've done this before. I remember the, a similar cycle ending in abandonment for a target called IDO, IDO, which once upon a time was meant to be right, yes. the next big thing in neuro-oncology. And it just gets to... Um, for really now like a decade, after the initial great excitement over PD-1 and PD-L1 checkpoint inhibitors, the drugs like Keytruda and Opdivo, we had this thought of like, wow, this, you know, immuno-oncology is moving at such an advanced pace. All these other new targets seem to exist. There was a, a unquantifiable, seemingly, number of clinical trials combining new things with the things we knew worked. And it seemed like the dawn of this bright new era where there would be mix and match therapies that would change the face of oncology really and and provide hope to many patients with tumor types that, that had not been amenable to, to some of the drugs that we knew worked. And I mean, it, it feels much more like we've been throwing, we, this, that scientists have been throwing spaghetti at a wall for more or less for about a decade. And there isn't that much 
to show for it. I mean, maybe perhaps perhaps the the Tidget Ticket story has a happy ending and and you know the conversation will change, but it is just a kind of a reminder of what a slog this has sort of been scientifically. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking kind of in the stat newsroom about, you know, this year we're actually seeing like a dip in investment in oncology startups. I think I think primarily because of what you're saying, Damien, that like we have just invested so heavily over the last decade and don't really have all that much arguably to show for it. And, you know, I mean, oncology, I think it's like still one of the, you know, is still the most active area in in biotech investing. But like, it looks like there is some sort of like softness to those numbers that's emerging. Um, I don't know. Will we see a whole sweep of, of ticket, ticket <laughs> investment? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you saw that the, there was a pretty widespread stock reaction to this Roche Genentech news this week. Uh, you saw companies like Gilead and Arcus who are co-developing their own Tidget drug. Uh, Merck has got one. Uh, a small, tiny drug maker called Iteos is partnered with GSK. They've got one. So you saw all of these, the stocks of all these companies go up because of this renewed uh, optimism for, you know, for what might be the future of Tidget. So finally, we got some news on famed biotech inventor, in fact, superlatively perhaps most cited scientist in the history of science, uh, Robert Langer, and more specifically, his family. Allison, what what is transpiring in, within the extended Langer household? Yeah, so um, we have a new Langer project. Uh, I, I found out um, through the grapevine that uh, Bob's son, Michael, who for the last several years um, was, you know, kind of a higher up executive at Pair Therapeutics, the um, digital health company that went bankrupt um, this spring. Uh, Michael is getting together with Pair's former CEO, Corey McCann, and they have a new VC firm that they are starting and are currently raising money for um, called uh, TRX. I Similarly to kind of the Tidget story, I was like, are, yeah, how do you pronounce I, that? I'm curious, is it T-Rex or is it T-R-X, T-dot-R-X? Because as I look at your story, Allison, it's it's T-dot-R-X. Right, it looks like a vanity URL. I was confused by that. Yeah, that's an interesting name. Yeah, it is. And we will, you know, the firm hasn't officially, like, launched. So I will be, don't worry, I'll be following up with with Michael and Corey about which pronunciation is correct. But... Yeah, new new investment firm uh, that will work in both therapeutics and digital health. And Michael has brought in his father, Bob Langer, you know, the aforementioned serial founder of, I think, 40 plus startups. Um, Robert's going to be a scientific advisor at the firm. Um, and, you know, the, the what I've kind of heard is that part of the pitch is that the firm will have early access to the next, um, you know, Langer companies and the Langer startups that come into the biotech space. So um, yeah, new new project in the, the Langer household. So Allison, you said in your story they raised about, I think, $175 million for the first fund. That's the, the cap for their first fund, is that what, yeah, which they're raising right is now. Is that a lot, a little? Like, what is that for funds? I mean, like a first fund in biotech is usually more modest. Um, it, I think, you know... We see some variation depending on kind of like the pedigree 
of investor and like, you know, what their background is. Like we saw earlier this year, um, the the guys who founded this new firm called Dimension, who had come, you know, two of them were um, kind of acolytes of Josh Wolf. They had come out of Lux Capital and were very involved in the therapeutics arm at Lux. Um, they left and farmed their own fund, which was more in like the their their they firmed their own firm. The first fund was more in the like three hundred million dollar range. Um, you know, I had kind of heard that, you know. T.Rx was looking to raise a little bit more. They have said that their cap is 175, so we'll see where they end up landing. Um, but you know, it's it's like a it's a modest amount for a first fund for, you know, I, I think two two people whose long-term venture pair uh, you know, didn't really pan out the way that they hoped it to. You know, it's interesting, as you mentioned, the a large part of the value proposition, maybe all of the value proposition, is the proximity to Bob Langer and, and the chance to get in on the ground floor on you know, whatever he comes up with next. But as you pointed out in your story, he has a very long and, and lucrative relationship with Polaris Ventures, a larger and more established venture capital firm. Um, in Boston or probably there around the world. So how does that shake up? Like how much, how do we divide the mind of Bob Langer such that there is Bob to go around for these various ventures? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, one of the things about the biotech world is that, yeah, you'll see entrepreneurs and founders have kind of very close relationships with certain firms, but you know, very rarely is that one firm, you know, writing the entire check for a round. So, you know, I asked around the ecosystem and like people who kind of, you know, uh, former Polaris folks, people who know Polaris well, and um, they said that, you know, from their point of view, it's really unlikely that this will impact Bob's kind of relationship with Polaris, you know, and, and kind of, you know, cause any sort of tension there. And in fact, you know, Michael Langer had said that uh, T.Rx and Polaris have I think he called it, you know, an informal but close relationship. So it's it sounds like we will see the two of them, uh, those two firms kind of writing checks alongside each other in the next, you know, Bob Langer Ventures. So, Allison, I have heard, can't confirm this, but I have heard that the Langer family not exactly happy with Stat because of some recent coverage. Did that come up when you talked to... Michael Langer? (laughs) (laughs) Am I putting you in an uncomfortable position? I don't know. I just thought I'm going to open this whole can of worms. (laughs) Anyone listening to the end of the podcast will, you know, this is a reward. Um, So, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, from from what I've heard, I was not involved in this coverage. Of course Uh, you were not. You would know better. Of course not. (laughs) But, um, you know, the the movement in Biogen's board and, you know, the um, removal of Al, you know, the departure of Alex Denner and replacement by Susan Langer, uh, Bob Langer's daughter. The you know, some of the questions that arose about that apparently you know, were uh, weren't weren't positive, you know, weren't uh, well received in the Langer family, um, you know. <laughs> but, good that, for, but good for I, Michael for, for putting that in the past and talking to you. Yeah. 
That's yeah. Michael and I honestly didn't really get into that. You know, yeah. I've I've known Michael around the biotech ecosystem in Boston for a few years now, and so um, yeah, it's you know Susan's not involved in in T dot RX, um, and so no, this was just this is Michael's this is Michael's venture. And with that, another episode of the Read Out Loud comes to a close. <laughs> Oh, was that, was I meant to, I'm sorry, I thought thought that was that. (laughs) Thank you to Teresa Gaffney for producing this week's episode. Our senior producers are Hyacinth Empanado and Alyssa Ambrose. Our executive producer is Rick Burke, and our theme music is by Brian Joel. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and maybe your thoughts about Vivek. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. We're taking next week off, but we will see you in September. You've got other companies. Uh, Merck has got a, a digit or tig, tiget, tiget we drug. Have to, we have to settle uh, as a podcast on one. I'm going to say tiget. Okay. I'm, I'm a tiget guy. I'll say tiget. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. team tiget. <laughs>